This episode is brought to you by Pixel 2 Editions, a full-service fine art printing company. More about them later. Hello and welcome to In The Art Scene Podcast, an art podcast that has it all. I'm your host, Galina Marquez, and I invite fascinating people to talk about their personal creative journeys, success stories, and inspiration. We talk about art business and marketing, how to find your creative voice, and all the new trends in the art world, like NFT, AI, and such. Join me and my guest for today's conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to In the Art Scene podcast. And I am with another enigma today, uh, the woman who I met the first time. We were, ta- we were talking for the first time. Her name is Jenna Olson. She's here in San Diego. She's an amazing watercolor artist and a huge activist, a grassroots activist, and uh, a deputy director of the Cool Nonprofit, which we're actually going to be talking about as well. So, hi, Jenna. Why wouldn't you hi. introduce yourself? Um, well, my name is Jenna Olson. Um, it's I was thinking about how to even introduce myself. Sorry, there's a plane going overhead. Just as we said, it wasn't going to be loud. <laughs> there's a helicopter going overhead. Yeah, I, I actually can't hear it, so maybe it's going to be fine. Okay, good. I'm sitting outside right now, so I, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah, so I was listening to your podcast, and I uh, just to try to get a sense of what this was all going to be about. And I have to say the part that I was most like befuddled by was how to introduce myself. And you're like, and now it's time to introduce yourself. How do I introduce myself on a podcast like this? Cause I'm so, uh, I'm so used to just introducing myself as, you know, I'm deputy director of WIA. We do, you know, and then it was like, how do I introduce myself as an as an artist, am I allowed to introduce myself as an artist? You are required to introduce yourself <laughs> as an artist. Well, I think, I mean, I imagine your listeners will, uh, can some of them can relate to that, just coming into your own identity as an artist, like who gets to identify themselves and as an artist uh, and, and you know, what does that mean? So um, it used to be easier in the back in the day. I actually um, was a professional photographer um, for many years. And so that was easier for me to identify myself as a photographer because for some reason, uh, you know, in the world that we're living, if you make money from it, then you're allowed to introduce yourself as such. So anyway, a long preamble to say that, um, yeah, I am, you know, my day job is deputy director of WIA. We're a gender equity organization, um, in working to advance uh, people of underrepresented gender, uh, women and non-binary folks in animation, VFX and gaming. See that introduction I have down because I do that every day. <laughs> um, in my non-paid work and my my other life, um, I, I identify, I guess as an artist. Um, I have been doing art since I was very, very little and um, all sorts of in all sorts of forms. Um, I was, I'm a classically trained cellist and pianist, although I haven't played for a very long time. I was a dancer. I was always doing art, um, in, in some way, shape or form. Um, and then I got into photography, um, in my twenties and basically through my, my twenties and, um, and my thirties, uh, actually spent, um, that was how I made money was as a photographer first and foremost. Um, I also worked in, um, nonprofits, um, sort of 
both fields, uh, both as as a professional artist and uh, in nonprofits. And now I am uh, really an artist kind of in my in my spare time when I have the time to do it. I'm a full time employee. I'm a mother. Um, and twice so, full time. <laughs> yes, exactly. So art happens when I can make it happen. Um, and currently I, and for the past couple of years, I've been working in watercolor. Yeah. And those watercolors are amazing. So oh. I actually wanted, uh, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about your involvement with nonprofits. And you, you uh-huh. mentioned that you were a photographer for nonprofit organizations, yes. uh, which is, which is funny because tomorrow, so we're recording on February 11th, February 12th is, uh, the release of the uh, of the episode with Peter Mertz, uh, who is the fine art photographer who's been for decades in, in California, has uh, has been involved in uh, nonprofit organizations. So yeah. I uh, wanted to hear, I mean, obviously you haven't heard that episode yet. It's, it's, no. <laughs> it's coming out tomorrow. <laughs> but but uh, like as I was going through some of the materials today to put the show notes together and everything, uh, and you were bringing this up and I was like, oh, that would be interesting to hear another perspective on this. Mm. Uh, so how was that for you to work as a, a artist photographer with nonprofits and what kind of nonprofits? Yeah. So um, it's actually because of my work in the nonprofit that I, so I started off um it's kind of, I kind of live two lives. There's my, there's my artist life and there's my nonprofit life and, and they do meet quite a bit. And actually I found, um, that, uh, a, a good portion of my working career has been finding ways to meet my artistry and, and, and my love for art and, uh, nonprofit work and specifically social justice work. That's really my, my happy places where I can be working in the field of, uh, advancing social justice and, uh, and art. And so, um, I, when I, we moved to San Diego, uh, from Wisconsin, you'll hear that in my accent. I'm told I have an accent. I don't believe it, but, I, um, you know, I, <laughs> I'm told I have an accent, <laughs> but I'm from Russia. So. Like, I don't hear it. Um, I don't hear your accent. <laughs> well, you will, if I get tired or I'm, <laughs> um, and it comes out in certain ways, but anyway, we moved to San Diego about 15 years ago, um, from Wisconsin. And back when I was in Wisconsin, I was, that's where I started doing photography, um, really intently started my business when I was there, um, doing, uh, weddings and portraits, standard photography, bread and butter, you know, uh, it's the way to make money. Um, and when we moved out here, um, I was really looking for a way to continue being involved in the community. Um, you know, I think the photography world, uh, particularly running your own business can be, um, on some levels it can be kind of lonely because, you know, you, there's a great photography community out here. Absolutely. Um, but it can also, I guess for me, it, it didn't feel like the work that I was doing was really kind of advancing the world in any real way. It was like, I was working for, I was making a lot of people very happy with my photography, but, um, not necessarily, moving the world forward in the way that I wanted to. And so, um, and I was sharing this with another photographer friend of mine and she said, Oh, did you hear about, uh, this nonprofit called the Aja project? And I said, no, I, you know, I had never heard of them. And and I looked them up and I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I want to be doing. And, um, and so for 
years, um, I worked for, I started out uh, as a teaching artist um, for the Aja Project, um, working in middle schools and high schools, teaching photography to kids, basically. Um, and then eventually became their program manager, totally loved it and decided I wanted to go back to school for nonprofit leadership and management um, so that I could do exactly that with, you know, advancing um, art education and social justice uh, nonprofits. Um, so that that's really, and then I did, I did both uh, full-time photography and full-time nonprofit work uh, and had kids and I, I had a lot more energy back then. Um, and then now I've kind of moved from, you know, at the time, the balance of my life was working as a, as a professional photographer with a bit of nonprofit work, uh, you know, when I could make it and then kind of slowly made the transition to, um, now for, a you know, a long time now I've been working as a full-time professional, uh, nonprofit executive with art on the side. So. I see. Well, for those uh, for those of uh, our listeners who don't know about Aja Project, can you talk a little bit of like can you describe what it is? What's the organization doing? Yeah, so they've evolved uh quite a bit over the years and frankly I've I've lost touch a little bit with what they're doing currently. I think they've evolved to to move beyond photography um or expanded to include other art forms um and i admit that i'm not entirely sure so your listeners should definitely look them up it's aja the aja project um based in city heights um but when i came on board with them as a teaching artist um they were it's kind of their core work was working with uh refugee youth who had just moved to san diego and were using the camera is a way to um, explore their world, understand their new world and express themselves and be able to process, um, you know, process just the, the journey that they had had been on and were currently going through. So I taught photography to them um, as a means of, of self-expression. Wow. That sounds really awesome. Yeah, it, it, yeah. And I wonder, yeah, I wonder what they're doing now. I, I will totally look them up. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, sure. um, so right now you are a deputy director um, at the VIA. VIA. Um, yep. VIA. Um, and you are working with artists as well. So how like so you are representing underrepresented uh, uh, youth, right? So um, the so VIA is actually um, we don't work with youth. We work with uh women both cis and trans women and non-binary folks that want mm -hmm. to get into the animation industry okay. um and or you know move up through uh the pipeline um in so we we work to get folks in jobs basically in animation um so i my role in uh essentially running that organization uh the organization itself um you know, I'm working with our staff to um, to manage programs um, that advance uh, advance folks, um, whether that's our event series that we have. We have a leadership institute that we just launched. Um, we have a mentorship program, a talent database. So there's a variety of ways that we um, that we try to support folks that are trying to get into the industry or, or you know, advance their career in the industry. Well, that's interesting. And uh, why animation? 
<laughs> like, how did I get into it? Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. I, um, the, <laughs> why animation? It, I didn't, I was not seeking out animation. Um, I, so when the pandemic hit, I was actually working for a STEM education. I was the CEO of a STEM education nonprofit, a very, like a different kind of world from the art space that I had been in. Um, but still very exciting to me because I was working, we talked a lot about creativity and, and expanding creativity through engineering um, in youth. And so it's still, there, there was definitely a through line there, but it was a departure from my real focus on art. And um, when the pandemic hit, you know, that for a variety of reasons, as you can imagine, like not a lot of nonprofits, uh, we had to sort of cocoon uh, and, and pause operations to figure out what was going on. And, and so I left that organization, um, and focused on basically raising my kids through the pandemic, uh, homeschooling and, or, or remote schooling and all that. But when I was ready to, um, to start looking for work again, um, quite honestly, this was just a job that popped up. They were looking for a head of operations um, and at the time. And I thought, well, this looks interesting. I've never, I mean, animation is a completely new space for me. Um, and, but I, I knew the work about leading nonprofits. I mean, that's, you know, that's my expertise. Um, but I didn't know anything about animation. So that was actually really exciting to me because I had the ability to take this really um, powerful um, organization, powerful in the sense that they had a lot of good people doing really, really good work that were wanting to kind of move into that next stage of their life cycle. Um, I had the ability to do that while, because of my expertise in nonprofit leadership, um, while kind of learning about a whole new industry um, that is supporting artists. So it was the best of both worlds. So I applied and fell in love with the organization and they offered me the role and here I am. So I, I was not seeking it out at all. It was like, you know, it was a, it was a post on indeed.com or something like that. And um, it just, it just worked out. Yeah. And it sounds like it's a really great fit for you. And uh, well, are they based in San yeah. Diego? Because like my, my uh, question, I guess, was like, you would think animation should be based somewhere more in LA. The, yeah. So no, we're not. Um, the, the staff is a hundred percent remote. Okay. So, I see. Right. Um, yeah. So at this point we have a, we really have a global footprint. And so um, we like to say we're headquartered in the cloud. Um, but <laughs> half of our, Half of our boards, uh, board members are in Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. as you said, you know, a, a majority, vast majority of the industry is in Los Angeles. Um, but our staff is completely remote. So I'm down here in San Diego. We've got another person up in uh, Portland. We've uh, about half of our staff is in L.A. We've got someone in Oklahoma. Um, but we also have a really gl a global footprint. So while the industry is still um you know, based in LA, the, there's a huge number of people that want to get into the industry that are all over the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we have communities, uh, in various places around the world, um, from, you know, Italy to Germany and the two places that we're developing our relationships. We've got a community in Colombia, um, in Mexico city, in 
um, Nepal and India. Wow. So, you know, we're, we've yeah, got, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And there are, there are those pockets of animation communities, um, all over. That's so. impressive. And and when you're talking about animation, so uh, I like obviously as an artist, I keep thinking that you're you're helping uh, folks to be trained as professional animators, or there's like other aspects of animation business that you're helping them to get involved. Uh, it's, in. it's anyone who wants to be in the industry in some way, shape, or form. So um, you know, the animators themselves are really a small part of. Um, a small part of the work, an important part, obviously, but there's an entire pipeline, um, you know, from start to finish that, so anyone who wants to be involved in that, whether it's concepts, concept artists, um, you know, writers, voice actors, um, you know, people that are doing post-production work, um, any, anywhere in between that, um, we're supporting them in that. Well, that's amazing. I uh, honestly I never thought about animation being kind of a, uh, well, when I'm thinking animation, I'm thinking Disney and Pixar, right? <laughs> because yeah. those are like, those are like huge monstrosities. And uh, yeah. yeah, so thinking about it in terms of grassroots and, and nonprofit is kind of like, it's awesome that, that this, um, this exists. It's awesome that this uh, yeah, the the organization is actually you know filling up the pipeline with uh, amazing mm -hmm. talented people who otherwise might not have had the chance to to get into the industry. That's yeah, awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Well. All right. So let's let's then switch. I mean, I I, I get it. You can you can talk about nonprofit probably For, day yeah. in and day out, and that's what <laughs> yes. you're doing. That's my day job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I actually really wanted to talk to you about your watercolors because that's what I see on your Instagram, and it's kind of. Yeah interesting you're you're a little like it's very inconspicuous you don't have any descriptions uh the, the no. <laughs> pictures are amazing the watercolors are really abstract but the way that you are uh working with the colors and the shapes and how they're mixing and um they a lot of them actually really remind me of like, like microbiology kind of cellular yeah, things that. It's, yeah. Uh, they're yeah they're really and i, I really love the you know, those that you start as like a very, very um, swirly kind of a doodle and then you start feeling in between. Yeah, uh, the neurographica. Is it? Yeah. Okay, well, is it neurographic? What, the, talk to me. About <laughs> what this, is that? I like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so, know anything about it. Yeah. Well, I kind of fell into it as well. I, um, I, so yeah, you'll see. Uh, so I'll kind of back up a little bit. You'll see on my Instagram that, um, I do a lot. I don't, I, I'm kind of falling into, um, I'm, I'm discovering kind of what my style is or what, you know, what I'm drawn to. And the neurographic piece came out of just observing other artists on Instagram. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of a quiet individual, independent artist and in that because it's something that I do really primarily for myself, um, you know, to your point, I'm not, uh, I'm not in it for anything other than just doing my own work for what fulfills me. Right. And, um, and I could talk a lot about that and that process. Uh, that's why we're here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> especially been a, having been a professional photographer and lived the life of making money for my art. It's just, I, I really made a very conscious decision that this is just for me and I don't have interest in putting myself, um, 
I, I can find myself getting into that place sometimes. Where I'm like, oh, maybe I should have a gallery showing or, oh, maybe I should do this. But and then I, I there's just something about it that doesn't feel quite right because it really is just a very personal process. Um, so the, the neurographics work um, came out of this kind of lurking that I do on Instagram of other artists and just looking at their work. And I was seeing some of this neurographic stuff pop up from time to time. It, there's not a lot of it. Um, it's actually a form of uh, art therapy. Um, mm -hmm. Art therapists will use it with youth a lot of times in the process. And I just was really intrigued by it because I loved the way that it looked. And because it's a art, I really started this painting as a process for myself and as a way of connecting to that quiet space and just having a very tactile experience um, that I don't get in my day job because I'm staring at screens all day. Um, I, I was like, oh, I'll try this neurographic stuff. It looks, it looks fun. It looks interesting. And so the, essentially the process is that you, you meditate on, um, and I mean, meditate for like all of mm -hmm. you know, briefly, we're not talking about long 20 minute meditations, but you sort of bring to mind something that's, um, causing some sort of emotional discord for you. Um, and then with that, in mind as you kind of meditate on that you put your your pen onto the paper and then draw you just you don't lift your pen off the paper for a solid you know 30 seconds while you just kind of draw out as you're meditating on this thing um and then you've got this big squiggle of of lines and then the idea is that you any place that there is a sharp um intersection right of the lines you smooth that out and so that's where you'll see the mm -hmm. like, it becomes kind of more fluid. Um, but when you start off, it's this kind of jarring, like just lines all over the place and, you know, hard intersections. Um, and then you smooth those out. And then what I do, I'm not actually seeing other folks with watercolor doing it. A lot of times it's like, they'll do it with like markers. They'll just mm -hmm. color. It. Um, but I was like, well, that those are like perfect little canvases, like canvas within a canvas to like create these tiny little um, you know, these tiny little spaces, uh, with color. And so I, I started doing that and really enjoyed it. I, I spent quite a while on those. I, I have since moved. Um, I will go back to those for sure. Um, I've since moved to doing quicker pieces. Those neurographic pieces take a long time. Um, and I was finding that if I, there were certain pieces like that, I, that I, if I lost kind of interest in it, I'm not one to have like lots of pieces going on at one time. So if I lost interest in it, it would sit for a while. Um, yeah. and then yeah. I would come back to it. And there was a point where I was like, I, I started working on a piece in, uh, God, it was the day before I ran my half, my first half marathon. And that was a, uh, almost a year ago. And, um, cause I had it, I, the piece is called pre-race jitters. And, um, I think I like, I started working on it. And then I didn't work on it for like a month or two. And it was like, just because I didn't feel connected to it. And I was like, well, that's, so then I came back to it and I finished and I did another neurographic piece. I think it was at the, the, on, um, Roe v. Wade when that decision came out and I had a lot of, as you can imagine, a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. around that. Um, but I think I, I, start, I moved away from it a bit because, and started working on these, these cellular pieces or I actually, they were originally the, the plant. I was originally conceiving them as planets. Um, they were called planet doodles. And my husband was like, you know, calling it planet doodle doesn't really 
doesn't give it justice, you know? And I was like, but that's just what it is. They're just doodles. He's like, no, they're more sophisticated than that. So. Yeah. They look more like a, a inner cosmos kind of thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, and they've evolved, right? I mean, originally when I first started them, um, they really were just like, throw some color down, do some doodles. It was very much just a like, similar to the neurographic work, it was a meditative space of just like, let's just play with color and lines. And, and, and my favorite thing with watercolor that I just, I don't feel like you can get with any other medium is like, there's only so much control you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, and the process of just watching the color kind of explode onto the paper the way you mix the water with the cult with the pigment and then the pigments with each other. And like, there's just, you kind of have to give it up to the universe of like, okay, there's only so much control I have in this. So I like, um, the, uh, just the process of doing that. And so when I started it, it was like, yeah, I'm just doodling. I'm just like throwing paper or throwing color on and I'm just drawing and whatever, but it's since evolved as, and I think you can see that in my pieces. Yeah they've evolved more and they are, I think a more, I'm taking a more sophisticated approach where it's not just doodling. So, uh, I, since to your point, you know, I don't have a lot of description. I don't, you know, they originally were planet doodle number one, planet doodle number two. And my husband's like, yeah, no, I don't, I think you're doing a disservice. And I was like, all right, I'm just not going to call them anything. Cause <laughs> cause they're just, they are what they are. So, but I only started those in December, but I think I'm, um, that's going to be my space for a while is doing those cellular planetary, what, you know, however you want to interpret it. Um, for me, they're just circles with a lot of color. What, um, what, what is informing them? What is informing? I mean, uh, I get, uh, the meditative space and kind of, uh, uh, but they're very different from the neurographics. So, uh, can, can you, you can know, you talk a little bit, what, what is informing the, the shapes are... and the doodles and everything? They are and they're not. They're actually, um, the process, they're very different. I think the end result is very different. Yeah, visually, they're very different. Visually, they're very different, but they actually, I was reflecting on this as I was looking through um, my Instagram feed. Um, and, and I will back up and say the only reason I even have this Instagram feed is because I felt this level, I, I started painting for myself. I actually started painting. Um, just a cup, like I started doing watercolor, um, just a few weeks before I had a major surgery. And when I had the surgery, I was, I was basically in bed for like a mm-hmm. week and a half to recover. And that's where I started. I was like, well, I'm going to start watercoloring because I've got nothing else to do. There's only so many shows you can watch and so much reading you can do. Yeah. So I just kind of popped, popped up my own little like in bed studio. And, um, was like, let, let's just, let's just do this, you know? So I would create these tiny little pieces in my bed. And then it was like, well, what am I going to do with this? Like, I don't, I don't have any intention of like framing it or selling it or whatever. It's just for me, but there's a level, there's like a relationship that I developed with this piece. And I, I didn't want to just like, I didn't want to throw it away, but I also felt a level of guilt of like, just like putting it in a pile. Like it felt mm-hmm. like it needed some like I brought life to this thing yeah, and it yeah, yeah. have its moment, you know? So yeah. I was like, well, I'll start an Instagram feed. And if I have 10 people that follow it, I don't care. Like, it's really just for me <laughs> you know, to be able to like take a picture and put it out into the world. And then I can put it in a pile because it's had its moment, you know? So some of the pieces that you'll see on my Instagram feed, I'm like, I don't particularly love or care for or feel particularly proud of, but I'm like, but I 
but I gave it life and I promised it its moment. And here you are, you know? So as I was looking through my feed and trying to feel like, well, yeah, how are all these things connected? Because, you know, I feel like when I was a professional photographer, it was drilled into me, only show your best work, only show what you want to be known for. Oh, you know, all of that. And I'm like, and my Instagram feed is not that I'm not showing my best work. I'm not uh, sticking to one particular style. I'm not, you know, it's like, so I don't know. It's just, it's kind of, it's a, it's a very different way of existing as an artist, uh, when you're not trying to make money from it. But the, the consistency though, is that I, one, I can tell I like circles and like organic shapes. Mm -hmm. That's very, very, um, apparent, I think, as you move through my feed. Hey, In the Arts and listeners, do you remember Mark O'Donnell from Pixel 2 Editions? He's been on the show in Season 3, Episode 7, and told us everything we need to know about G-Clay printing. And take my word for it, Mark and his team are the best in Southern California and beyond. I've been a client of Pixel 2 Editions since 2019, and I've been shouting about them from the rooftops ever since. Luckily, I don't have to do it anymore because I have a podcast. Despite being San Diego local, Mark and his team are working with some of the best photographers and artists from all states, including Clark Little and Kadir Nelson. And frankly, if you are a photographer or a digital artist, you don't need to be local to work with Pixel 2 Editions. Just use a file upload on their website for your heavy images and write down the specs. They can print small proofs for you on any substrate you want and ship them to you for free. And for my listeners, they offer a free 8x10 full image proof on metal. Just tell them that you heard about them on the podcast and they will take care of you. Let me tell you, their metal prints are amazing. Whenever I order mine, they fly off the shelves in no time. So I highly recommend you try it out. And oh, did I mention that they are a full service company? It means that they do everything from color correcting and printing to framing and shipping directly to you or your clients. So don't wait, go to pixel2editions.com, two is a number, and editions is plural, or call 858-549-7299. Again, pixel2editions.com, two is a number, and editions is plural, or call 858-549-7299. Say hi for me. Yeah, I noticed that you have a lot of circles in there. A lot of circles. A lot of circles. I, yeah, I know. It's kind of ridiculous. I joke about, um, I've basically been, uh, I don't know if you know the book Vashti, uh, The Dot? No. no oh, I don't. If you don't know it, oh, it's such a good book. It's about this little girl named Vashti who doesn't consider herself an artist. And the um, the art teacher says, just, just put your mark down. Put your mark down on a paper. And she just makes this dot. Like it really just kind of like, it's a dot. And the next day she comes into the classroom and the teacher has framed her paint, her dot. It's just like really ornate gold frame. And she was like, oh my God, I made a dot and it's art. And she started so she's suddenly creating all of these circles all over the place and it's big circles and little circles. And, blah, blah, blah. and uh, it occurred to me, I didn't like intentionally be like, I'm going to be like Vashti and make these circles. But as I look back, I was like, oh, I'm totally doing that thing where I'm just like making, you know, circles. Um, anyway, I like the idea of having a container within which I need to work and the paper, I guess, 
you know, can be that container, but it's a square container. And there's something about that that doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel quite right. And so having that, whether it's the neurographics where they have their own kind of containers that are pretty organic and circular um, or an actual circle itself, you know, there is, um, there's that piece of it, of having the container within which I need to kind of create like a canvas within a canvas. Um, but there's also like the neurographic piece. There's, you know, as I described, there's the, there's the meditating and the drawing, creating the circles themselves uh, with the, the cellular planetary kind of stuff also has that kind of feel to it. It's like the starting of the canvas. And then I, and then I put the color into it. So I actually create the circles just with water. So I'm making a very, I'm very being very meticulous about creating that circle with water and a brush and that's it. And then once the, the paper has sufficiently kind of sucked up that water, that's when I introduce the color and that becomes my palette. Um, my husband asked me the other day, he was like, why don't you just use like a, like a compass or something, you know, to create a perfect circle. And I said, well, that's kind of the challenge in and of itself is to how can I create this circle? you know, yeah, 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 yeah. free form. And how can I get that just with water too? Cause there's a way of seeing it yeah. that, uh, you have to like hold it against the light. And I don't know. So it's this whole process. So yes, they look very visually different, but I actually think they're very similar in kind of, at least from a process standpoint, how I go through it. And like I said, it, the process is for me. Uh, and so, and it really is about, um, you know, being in a very, tactile meditative space where you can just play um and frankly just kind of let go you know of of just letting the watercolor do its thing and knowing enough about my medium that I can control it to some degree and then letting the rest of it go because and I appreciate the practice in letting and accepting kind of things as they yeah, you know, I yeah I have so much admiration for watercolor artists because like to me this is like this is anxiety provoking for me to begin with yes. because I mostly work 100%. with with acrylic because I can't control it and watercolor yes. like oh, I can't. So yeah. yeah, the only work that I have done in watercolor uh, quite recently, uh, kind of you know, it was it was kind of a description of the uh, late pregnancy and then early postpartum mm. kind of thing, and mm -hmm. that was. Uh, that was intentional because like the, the whole process was so chaotic yes that the watercolor was the perfect medium for that because sure. like well i cannot control this process as yeah. like and i cannot control watercolor and the color the color scheme was all kind of chaotic and like rah, crazy so but other than that i i really like i'm i have a really good watercolor set and i am terrified at it you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so, yeah I don't know quite what it was that made me want to get into watercolor I, you know I kind of fell into watercolor the same way I fell into photography it was and I always used to say this about photography that that um I just kind of had this moment where I was like you know what I think I really like photography and then got into it and I fell in love with it it was like I kind of listened to my gut on that. And, um, it was the same thing with watercolor. It was like, you know what? I just like watercolor. I didn't know anything about it. I don't know why I thought I would like it, but I, as soon as I like watched the pigment explode on the paper was, or on, in the water, it was just like, oh yes, this is exactly <laughs> what I wanted, you know? Um, 
And and I've since heard there was another a friend of mine who she's not an artist herself, but she she's very you know she loves art and and following artists and stuff. And she said something similar. She's like, you know, watercolor seems so hard, and I have so much admiration. And I was like, I guess I look at it. And I'm like, I mean, part of it is that I'm not trying to be precise with my watercolors. I'm not trying to control it. You know, I mean, there's a level of control, obviously, but it's it's not even control so much as a <laughs> sense of like hippy dippy when I say this, but there's a level of like relationship mm-hmm. with with the water and the pigment where I understand the mechanics of it. I understand um, like how it likes to move. And so I can take that understanding and try to kind of dance with it, you know, but con- so control isn't really the right word, but I don't. I'm not trying to create something that looks real. In fact, that's why, like I always say, like, yeah, the reason I do abstract is because there's no way for it to look. Anyone can look at it and think whatever they want. And great, you're right. That's what it is. You know, whereas if I was trying to draw like a realistic flower or something, you see so much of like flowers and landscapes and stuff with watercolor, you'd be like, well, that tree isn't quite right or that whatever. Like that would just that that's like not what I'm about. I just want to like play and create and develop relationships with these colors and just kind of have fun with it and not let go of that judgment of like feeling like it needs to be a certain way that needs to be perfect. Cause frankly, I do that all day in my life. Like I need to be a certain way. I need to, you know, that level of perfectionism. Um, this is a space where I can just like, let all that go. No expectations, just play, just be in a space you know sounds like a great balance and I, I really love the way you describe it as a relationship it's it's really, really <laughs> cool <laughs> yeah. I was yeah I um I was thinking I was actually painting a little bit just before this uh conversation <laughs> I found myself actually talking to the colors really yes and I thought oh my god Jenna <laughs> Okay, well, I gotta, yeah. I gotta hear about that conversation. What were you talking? Well, to? it wasn't a conversation because they definitely didn't talk back. I'm not, you know, I mean, I don't need to be institutionalized quite yet. But um, <laughs> no, they, it was just. I, so I'm trying to <laughs> in this process where I want to create. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a palette right now for my next piece because I just, I just finished one and um, have been kind of experimenting with different palettes and and um, I'm, I'm working with purples. And I can't quite figure out the right purple, but then I also was like, oh, I'm just going to introduce some yellow in this. And then I was like, do I go with the yellow ochre? Or do I go with, uh, there was this cadmium yellow. And so I was like popping the yellows onto the purple to see how they, to see just kind of how they sink into the color, take up the color and, or just move around in the paper. And, like, and it'll be things like, I'll put down the yellow ochre and be like, oh, you look nice. Oh, wow. You didn't really want to move through that, did you? Like I had these. <laughs> Okay, it's almost like you talk to plants you know uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. Water or you're looking droopy today that's how I talk to it you know it's like ooh, oh you didn't like that mix did you oh no y'all aren't working together well <laughs> they have these like personalities and now as I'm saying that out loud I realize how kind of silly that sounds but it's <laughs> but yeah I developed the relationship with the colors with the piece and it feels like it has like a a life of its own I guess Oh, it's amazing. You know, uh, 
the way you're talking about it kind of reminds me of yet another conversation I had with uh, on the podcast with an artist. Um, and you can go back and listen to it, by the way. She is now, she's a watercolor and acrylic artist, and she's been working with watercolor, I don't know, for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um her style is totally different, though. Uh, but she's now making her own. So she is purchasing pigments uh, oh, wow. and oh, yeah. and uh, like organic binders, like honey base. Oh, I stuff. think I saw this one on, as yeah. I was scrolling. Dusty B, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I so, remember tagging it and thinking, "Oh, I gotta go back." You, to you might be really interested in listening to her talking about how different pigments behave and how they mix. Yes. And they yeah, really do, yeah, yeah. yeah so they really do, and I think that's the other piece with having a relationship with them because there are certain colors that I'm drawn to, not just because of the color itself, but because of the way it behaves. And I, there are some colors that, like, um, yeah, like some. There's this one that I've been, you'll see a lot in my latest work, Rose of Ultramarine, that I've become kind of obsessed with. And I, I've moved away from it in my more recent pieces because I've just kind of like, okay, we need a break, but I'm coming back to it again, where it has this way of like, I, I don't know, like the, the, the way it separates into a variety of colors where you can see the blues come out and the pinks and then, but then it also has like a relationship with between that and other pigments, the way that they kind of blending is not the right word, but they almost kind of can fight with each other sometimes, mm-hmm. like kind of infiltrating one into the other. And that has a particular way of doing it. But then there's this other color <laughs> that I really struggled with. It's the, um, it's the Mayan blue, um, the Daniel Smith Mayan blue. I think I'm getting that right. Where like it's a beautiful color and I love it, but when you when you paint with it, it has this kind of it feels like kind of heavy and and like it just kind of sits there. Whereas the rose of ultramarine like really explodes on the you uh-huh. know so, like they uh-huh. all have their different ways of being in the world, and I think that's that's I mean, yeah that's the really, relationship yeah. with that right like how they're going to behave. They have like these they have their own personalities. Um, and that's, I think it's just so, that's what I love about it. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it kind of makes me think about maybe I should, you know, give it another go. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I really do. For me, it really is about just um, making it abstract and is a huge, huge part of my ability to be successful with the watercolor because it's, um you know, it's just about accepting what happens rather than trying to control it. So I think if you can get in the right in the right mindset with it, um, that that will make a big difference. Yeah. Well, gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> I have another question. So you started when you introduced yourself. You said that you uh, uh, you were doing art in any form pretty much since you were very little, and then you mm-hmm. mentioned that you were trained in cello and. Um, uh what was the another another yeah. instrument and then you were dancing and so those were uh performing arts but yes um that but that that kind of didn't stick with you you like because because to me and it's very interesting again because i i had another conversation with someone who was trained in music and then switched to a visual uh mm-hmm. medium yeah. more or less so so uh i guess i'm kind of a you know like trying to make a connection like in in the brain how how those things are connected because for me performing arts and visual arts are very different but yeah uh, yeah yeah um gosh that's a good question 
Um, I mean, when I was really little, when I was in um, like elementary school, I was doing a lot of visual art. I remember I would have this, um, this, I don't know if it was a workbook or it was like a drawing book of horses, you know, typical, like, you know, fourth grade kid who loves horses. I just used to sit and draw horses all day and I got really into it. And, um, and so, and I took a lot of art classes and, you know, like after school clubs and stuff, but I think part of the performing arts, um, I think there was a lot to it. Um, I mean, in some ways it was just because like, that's what like lessons were available in those things. Like, especially like I grew up in, in rural Wisconsin. It's not like we had a lot of opportunities to like go to art classes where I could be like painting and drawing and that kind of thing. At least I didn't know about it or my parents didn't know about it at the time. So in some ways it's like, well, I could take cello lessons at school and I could be in the orchestra. Um, there was a dance class, an after school kind of dance, uh, program that was near where my parents worked so they could take me to that and piano we knew of a piano teacher that was in this you know in the neighborhood that I could take from and, and I really loved those things I mean I actually um tried out uh for or auditioned for the cello program at University of Wisconsin I had visions of being a, a professional cellist I mean I loved it enough you know thank god I didn't get into the program because I would actually, I I don't think I would have actually been very happy. Um, But yeah, I think it's in some ways it was just like, that was what was available. Like I, at the end of the day, I'm an artist and my, my, but my medium will change depending on kind of what's available to me. Even the watercolor now it's like, well, you know, I could have seen myself getting into acrylic or some of these other things, but it just was the thing that made sense. And watercolor is available to me in the sense that, um, you know, it's, it doesn't take a lot because of my kind of busy life as a a full-time, you know, full-time worker in a demanding job and a mother, like watercolor is works well for me because the cleanup, you know, I can pretty quickly set it out and clean it up. It's not like I have to have this big canvas that, you know, with cleaning and all that. So I think it's in some ways, the through line is that these things are available to me and I am sort of fundamentally an artist that finds a lot of joy in creating. Um, but I don't, I'm not particularly tied to the method for doing that. Um, and so, and, and, you know, using, whether it's using music, uh, to create and, and kind of explore and connect to the world, or it's using watercolor there. That's the through line. I think, uh, for me, it's a very personal you know, it's a personal connection and, and it's also just what was available, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, I get it. I totally get it though. Cause, uh, since I, since I had a baby, I, I barely did anything yeah. and I'm kind of still trying to figure out what's going to be, uh, both accessible and spark the joy enough so I can yes. occupy the kitchen table because there, there's no other way for me. Oh, to I'm stuff. all of my stuff is set up at the dining room table. I'm just like, yeah. all right, it's coming out. We're doing it. And the weekends are filled with yeah, art at the dining room table. Um eventually we we're talking about um we have a fairly big backyard, especially for San Diego. And um we're eventually gonna and this is a few years down the line, but put in some sort of like studio in the back. 
Um, oh my god! My, like I know, right? Oh my <laughs> it's god. like the dream. The dream, yes, absolutely. The dream. <laughs> it is the dream. So, yeah, eventually we'll do something like that. But for now, it's yeah, I'm just at my dining room table, just creating art, and and it's. I think it's in a lot of ways probably especially with my kids at this age, they're nine and almost 12. And I think it's really good for them to see me at the dining room table creating art. It, I know it's inspired them to have more art in their lives. So um, yeah, you just do what you can with the space you have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we're almost at the top of the hour, but I also have one more question for you. So sure. uh uh, you you said that you're working with artists a lot uh, with your day job, and obviously, like huh. your day job is like very structured, and you're yeah. uh, a big executive. And but how do you uh, like? Can you talk a little bit about your experience working with artists in that setting? Um, my experience working with artists in that setting. Do you can you be more specific in terms of? I I'd like well in um in what cases and how you are interacting with them uh um like what's the what's the conversation I mean what's the conversation maybe about or uh, are you being involved in the creative process with them in like some ways or like I just want yeah, I just want to know how that happens No um so my work is really um I don't engage in the creative process with the artists, I'm um, really, it's more like, how do we, how do we enable them to engage in the creative process? Um, so my work is more around community building, um, community building with artists, um, offering supportive programs for them, whether it's, you know, learning about various um, elements of the industry or, or things like, you know, how do you deal with uh, imposter syndrome or, you know, being able to sort of, ex it's kind of what I was saying before, like coming into your own is like, I am a credible artist who deserves to have my work seen and, mm -hmm. and all that. Um, and then advocacy. So we, uh, you know, we will talk with artists and executives that work with artists about the importance of, of gender diversity in their organization. So um, I don't, I'm kind of uh, like creative adjacent in that space that I'm mm -hmm. supporting the artists in the development of their um, like professional identity rather than their craft. If that I makes see. sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And and when you're talking about artists, you're talking about the folks who are taking the program, not necessarily the artists who are coming as, I don't know, um, the teaching artists or uh, some sort of a mentors or do you work with those too? Uh, well, we work with the mentors um, and we work with creatives that taught. So they'll do, um, you know, we work with people that are like directors and storyboard artists and stuff that are doing the work and talking to our members about the work that they're doing. Um, so again, kind of adjacent in that way. Um, so, and I, I oversee the staff that works more directly with those folks. So like we have a mentorship program where our program manager is working with the mentors who are creatives in their field. Um, she's working with them all the time. So, and helping them think about like, well, what do they want to do their uh, mentoring on? What's their area of expertise? You know, she's helping with them. My job is to support our program manager to get done, you know, to, to do mm -hmm. that work. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of creative adjacent in all that. 
way. Um, but I really love it because, you know, I do feel, um, I love, I love organizational development, organizational management, leadership development, um, all of those aspects. So then to be able to, to be in that every day and, but do it in service to creatives is really powerful. Um, it, it's really, it's wonderful work. I'm, I'm really very pleased to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely sounds like it. And so, so I wanted to ask you, uh, to spell out if, uh, if any of our listeners are falling into the categories that you serve. So women identified, uh, transgender women, um, then non-binary, non-binary, um, who want to be involved in the animation industry mm -hmm. uh, as creatives or otherwise, how do they find you? How do they connect? What's, what's the, what the steps they need to take? Yeah. 100%. So, um, though they can go to our website, um, it's women in animation.org. So, uh, we're, we're going through a bit of a process where we're trying to eventually we'll be just, we, uh, um, but right now it's women in animation, uh, cause we want to just be more inclusive of our entire membership. Um, but they can go to women in animation.org, um, and they'll learn about all of the programs that we have, um, and the various ways that they can get involved. And for, for people who want to see your watercolor arts, how do they find you? Uh, just Instagram. I'm very simple. Um, so it's uh, Jenna Olson art. So J-E-N-A-O-L-S-O-N dot A-R-T. On Instagram. On Instagram. Yes. Got it. All right. Exclusively. <laughs> Exclusively on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> so more like I just don't have the energy to do it anymore. <laughs> it will be a very, very short show notes for this yes. episode. <laughs> well, nonetheless, nonetheless, I will include uh, in the show notes, you guys, uh, go to intheartscene.com. Uh, there will be show notes for this episode, as usual, for any other episode. Uh, will be some information about Jenna, will be some information about Wea. Uh, there will be all the links and even the the link for the book that you recommended because now I know like that's that's gonna be my next in the reading list. Good, it's great. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for yeah, being with me today. Welcome. And um and you sounded really clear, even though you're outside. I didn't I didn't catch uh, like I was more worried about my baby crying. <laughs> Oh really? I didn't hear your baby crying. I'm like, I've got this, like, at one point. It's like, oh, I'll be quiet. I'm like, like a helicopter went over, and then there's like sirens, and my umbrella's moving. I was like, oh, Jenna, it's really, and it's windy today. So, yeah, it is. It is windy. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, I'm glad that didn't. <laughs> no, it didn't. No, it sounds really great. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time in the art scene. Okay. Thanks. Bye. It has been another episode of In the Art Scene Podcast. If you liked today's conversation, please give us a good review on Apple and go listen to other great stories. Check out our website intheartscene.com or follow us on Instagram at intheartscene for more content. If you are a creative and you want to share your story, shoot us a message from the website or DM us on Instagram. Look forward to seeing you next time in the art scene.